Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Truth to Power on YouTube. So equity means systems are working for all people, regardless of social identity. It's something that people typically get behind, but then the rubber beats the road. They have to like make real life decisions to get there, which typically are different decisions, right? Because what we've been doing clearly hasn't gotten us to equity. It requires work on all of our parts, but there's especially heavy lifting when you're a member of a group that's benefited. And typically you don't see how things are set up because things are working for you. Yeah, because like a fish in water, you don't know you're wet. So typically when you're of a privileged group, it's harder work to see what needs to be done. In the context of racial equity, white people can sometimes be defensive about addressing inequities, even if they're nice people, even if they say that everyone should be equal. So doing what's been called hashtag white folk work requires being reflective rather than defensive and seeking solutions for systems change rather than doing what feels comfortable or would make you feel good about yourself. Today we have with us Adelaide Lancaster, co-founder of We Stories and also a board member of Ford through Ferguson, two St. Louis-based organizations. Adelaide has been doing white folk work for some time now, and today we're going to hear a little bit about how she came to this work, her latest efforts, and how she raises equity with her children. So hi, Adelaide. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Kira. And pleasure to be here. So let's start with equity. In your opinion, what is equity? So I, uh, as you mentioned, um, am heavily influenced by a definition that I'm pretty sure you helped to craft and create that our region has pretty much adopted um, through the Ferguson Commission and uh, forward through Ferguson. Um, so when I think about equity, my mind automatically goes to this definition um, uh, where outcomes are no longer predicted by race. And so I, I think I'm pretty heavily conditioned now to, to think about things that way. Um, I have been thinking more recently um, about what happens before we even get to the outcomes. And so especially in the last uh, couple of months with events that are going on in our town, I have become um, really well acquainted and aware with uh, the different choices. Um, so before we even get to outcomes, what are the choices that we are making and can we make them um, without the burden of consequences? Um, and is that the same across race? Uh, so even if our schools, for example, could be delivering the same kinds of outcomes to kids, does everybody have the same options available to them um, before uh uh, you know, in the process? Um, and do they have to factor for certain consequences based on their race um, as they make different choices about what to advocate for, when to stand up, when to have their voices heard? Um, so I've been thinking about incorporating that into my understanding of equity recently. Yeah, it definitely is a process, right? So the Kellogg Foundation would say 25 years, a generation to get there. Right. That requires, like you said, a lot, there are a lot of choice points between now and 25 years of intentional work. And so what does that look like? Right. I think that's a good question to to ponder. And as a white woman, do you feel like there um, are ways that your positionality as a woman, as a white woman and other social identities that you that are salient for you, does that shape how you envision that path? I mean, absolutely. Of course, it, I'm, <laughs> the answer is, of course it does. Um, and I'm aware of a couple of things with that. So one, I'm aware that... Um, you know, certainly vis-a-vis -vis race, my positionality allows me to, or prevents me from seeing a lot of inequity. Um, and so I am constantly reliant on 
um, folks of color around me to help to illuminate all the different examples of um, here's a problem, here's a problem, here's a problem, here's how um, I watched how you just did that. I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, so I feel very, I feel very reliant on other people to help in uh, help me see all the inequity that is around me. Um, and at the same time, I also feel like I walk in the world with such privilege most of the time uh, that oftentimes I'm experiencing the thing that I've, I, I believe everybody should be able to experience, right? So if I have a concern and I want to raise it, and I do, I think that's a privilege that everybody should experience. So in some ways, I feel um, you know pretty blind in the situation um, when I look around and start to think about envisioning equity and what would actually be different. And other times I feel like I have gotten tastes of uh, the kinds of benefits that I think everybody should have. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I believe people get really caught up in the term privilege because basically you're saying everyone should have the privilege of having concern and being able to voice it. And I like to just make the distinction, right? That's a privilege that is an honored entitlement that everyone should Should have, have, right? Mm -hmm. That's not one of those privileges that gives your identity dominance over another. And so, yes, everyone should be able to take their concern to leadership, to the authorities and be heard. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that. So why, why care about racial equity in particular as a white woman? Why do white folk work? Um, yeah, it's a long, it's, <laughs> I got a long answer to that question. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think for me, um, personally, I, there's a certain amount of just the way that I am wired to be, uh, attuned to issues of injustice. Um, I remember from, um, all the time, you know, all the way back being a little girl, um, thinking about and being frustrated at the different, uh, things that institutions were doing and different treatment that people received. Um, often that was really a way I was very clear around gender, um, uh, you know, around that. Um, and so I think some of, some of my interest, um, or tendency to get involved is just because of the way that I'm wired. Um, but let me just push back a little. There are plenty of white women who, (laughs) who experience sexism and don't make the connection between race and sex and how sexism operates. And, and in some ways, in many ways, white women have been a part of perpetuating racism. Right. And I think I, I think I likely would be that person even more so than I am. Um, I would be that white woman, uh, you know, more than I already am. If I had not had, I had a pretty transformative experience in high school. Um, my last two years of high school, I went away to a very southern boarding school. I'd grown up outside of um, Philadelphia in the north. Plenty of racism, um, but it was a certain kind of racism that I couldn't see as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had the opportunity to be immersed in a completely different uh, socialization environment, and that was really shocking to me. And it, um, I saw my institution support it. Um, I saw the uh, the cultural norms shifted overnight, and I had um, I really really struggled in that environment, and it caused me to when I got to college take every class I could that had race or racism in the title because I was trying to figure out, make sense of my experience and figure out what was going on there and how was my sense of the world turned upside down so much. Um, And then I think once you're, for me, once you're on the journey, once you can see things that you haven't been able to see, you can't unsee them anymore. Um, And so I, I, as difficult as that experience was, I feel really fortunate that it helped me 
um, become add a race analysis to what I was probably already seeing as institutional um, injustice, right? Um, so I was able to add that race analysis, and then you know, and that was a long time ago, and I've still had a lot of work to do um, since then. And I think you know the other thing that has been uh, that has kept me close to race um, really is the importance of white folk work. Um, so once I was seeing race and being able to add a race analysis to the way that I was seeing and experiencing the world, I also was able to understand whiteness, not just the history of race and the history of racism and how that was being supported by the institutions I was connected to. But I really began for the first time to be able to understand the culture of whiteness. And then I could see the ways that it was harming me Mm -hmm. um, or the ways that I had been harmed by it. And so I saw it in girlfriend relationships and family dynamics um, and uh, different uh, expectations um, and the way that our institutions operated. Um, And I could say, wow, and now I understand that that's connected to race, even if it's a predominantly white institution or a white group of people. Um, And I think it's problematic. Um, And those are the kinds of understandings that have kept me close to race as time has gone on. So in a way, it was kind of a gift to go to this school and see blatant racism. Yeah. <laughs> well, reframe, right? Yeah. Um, because, yep. <laughs> well, because it yep. allowed you to see the systems yep. operating where you might not have before. Because like you right. said, and where you were previously, it was just kind of in the air and it, it was done in a way where it was hard for you to see and to be able to pinpoint. Right. And that is work that I, I feel is really important for us to do as individuals, but also in terms of raising equity with kids is like to help them right. see the system, which can so often be invisible and, and sometimes feel intangible. But for you to have that moment of just like seeing the institution support racism and in a very clear way, in a way was a gift. And you were able to build on that as the years went, went on. by. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think the thing that was most um, disorienting for me was to experience the narratives of two different white groups so strongly be able to identify why they weren't the problem. They're, I'm not the racist person, right? You're the racist person. Like the, the Northern version of why Southern people are racist and the Southern version about why Northern people are racist um, and have those be in such polar opposite mm. um, tension with each other and also be able to recognize the kernel of truth, right? So when I was talking to my um, Southern peers and they will say, well, how many Black friends do you have, right? And I would be like, huh, that really sort of undermines my theory and analysis and the story that I've been told about how racism works, right? And so it really unearthed um, a lot of work that I needed to do. And let's be clear, you were also willing to do the work and to reflect and to learn, get information when you went to college and to add to your analysis and hone those skills. And from knowing you for just a few years, you've used those skills in lots of wonderful, (laughs) amazing ways. And most recently, it's been around a controversial hire in your own hometown. Yes. Can you give us a little synopsis of what's yes. going on? <laughs> what's happening in, in Webster Groves, right? Um, so yeah, so I live in Webster Groves, which is a, a, a municipality, fairly a decent-sized municipality outside of uh, St. Louis. Um, and our town recently hired as our town attorney, um, the uh, attorney that was the defense attorney for both Jason Stockley um, and Darren Wilson, um, who are, were responsible for the murders of Michael Brown and Anthony Lamar Smith. And, um, you know, 
two very high profile cases here in St. Louis that um, ignited months and months of um, protest uh, and resistance. So it was shocking for mm. many people in our town um, to hear that this hire had been made. Um, what uh, it, it, our town has a unique history um, in that uh, there's a portion of our town that's called North Webster that is a historically black part of town that was hostily annexed in the 60s, um, but has a very, very rich uh, um, history um, and a multi-generational community that feels very um, tied to the institutions in our community. Um, so, and also not surprisingly, um, their voices are not centered at all in the ways that our decisions are made in our community. Our, our city council is all white. We are one of the few municipalities that doesn't have a ward system. So there is actually no direct guaranteed representation for different parts of our town. Um, there's lots of conversations around uh, representation that have been taken up and no decisions made or progress made, systemic change made um, for years and years. Uh, so the just having the awareness in our community about these cases um, and the impact that they've had on our region, there were many people that were surprised by this decision. Um, and yet it's not at all surprising. And once um, a group of us, um, many of us actually, many groups of people, there's been a clergy group, the North Webster Neighborhood Coalition, um, many different uh, equity and parent groups um, involved in trying to um, push back uh, on this hire, express our concern, um, and then also ask for some policy and systems change um, because it became quickly uh, revealed that um, this wasn't necessarily the first choice and that the candidate pool was actually quite small because of a very outdated residency requirement. Um, I saw in the, that. And I'm thinking, how yeah. awful. This guy knows he's the third choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm curious about whether that's just a story that's being uh, told at this point, uh -huh. um, because I think that I do actually think that this is the person that our town wants um, and is uh, proud and excited to have and feels quite protected um, by his, um, you know, by his legacy um, and his ability to get a good and favorable outcome, um, just or unjust. To keep things safe. To keep things safe. Right. I, and this is a good moment to just pause and say, oftentimes when, when, when it comes down to an incident, something that's happening, an interaction, people become over-focused on the individual. Right. They become over-focused. Well, he's not a bad person or, you know, his job was to defend them and they make it about the individual rather than thinking about, well, what does this say about our system? Right. What does this say about our, our city? Is this the message we want to send to the Black citizens of our town? Right. And they fail to think about those larger... Sometimes some, you might say symbolic, but the larger systems implications and overfocus on you're trying to ruin his character. Right. And there's been a ton of um, pushback around that from members of our town, especially because there is a residency requirement. He is a member of our town. Um, people know him. They have personal relationship to him. They worship with him. They know those family. They, you know, know his kids. They think he's nice in all these different ways that really don't matter. Um, and there are several pieces um, that are all uh, that, that have informed where we've gotten today, which is a pretty contentious place, um, around, around this hire and the subsequent findings. Um, but one was which that there's, uh, acknowledgement from the mayor and the city council that they knew it was going to be a problematic choice, but they did it anyway. Hmm. 
right? So they knew that people would be upset. They knew that some people would be um, nervous, that they would be scared, that it would send the wrong message. So even for optics alone, they knew it was going to be a bad choice, but they did it anyway. Right. So why not get a even get in front of that, have a statement, have him make a statement, right. do something to acknowledge that you understand the implications. But it's clear that they don't necessarily understand the implications. I don't know that they under, um, they may understand them. I don't think they take them seriously. Right. Uh, so what has been said was we know that this will blow over. Um, this is going to go away quickly. Um, and I don't think honestly, they're used to being questioned, um, which is, um, fair, right? Because they've <laughs> largely governed, um, without a lot of accountability. This hasn't been the norm in any of our municipalities or even our region, mm-hmm. um, to really uh, ask questions hold people accountable exactly center those who are most marginalized in in the accountability right yeah it and is not expect transparency right and so there's a lot of um dismay around the fact that even these questions are being asked and that they might be uh be- you know beholden to us to answer answer some questions and even engage yeah um, i felt that in reading some of the statements that that there was this feeling of like how dare you question me right. Uh, the mayor made a comment about, oh, I, I just I feel so sad because we worked hard to to get the statue in the black part of town, and we've right. done so much as if a statue uh, is is equal to a hire that we know has this history of of defending excessive use of force. Right. Right. Interesting. Yep. And do you see any way? I don't want to say way out of this. Like, is there any? opportunity for them to take accountability and him to stay in this position how what sort of outcome would you would you dream of <laughs> i think my dreams are far from uh likely reality? yeah they're far from well, reality let's go with at your this point first, <laughs> and then maybe reality i mean what what uh this open letter asked for yes. um was uh had a whole section on repair right because i think it's un it's unlikely that our uh, elected leaders or um, those that are appointed or hired um, that are in leadership aren't going to make mistakes. It's not about being perfect, but it is about, okay, now we're hearing a lot of concern and it is our obligation to respond to you and provide some opportunities um, for repair and really care about um, the distrust and um, you know uh, frustration that is growing in our community. So I think that they actually have, even, even after the decision is made and after um, you know, putting us past that point in, in time, I think there were a lot of options and there still are a lot of options to really do the hard work. But, you know, I mean, as you know, this, this takes hard work. Mm-hmm. There is some, there is a clear lens missing, um, in terms of understanding, uh, power, um, and, and getting beyond hearts and minds and, and understanding what does it mean to be, to have our elected leadership look the way that it does and mm-hmm. hold power in, in a town, in our town, which does, not look the way that our elected leadership does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think, a, a really significant, um, you know, uh, piece of it. And there's also just this understanding of, you know, do they understand what it means to put, uh, to create a policy change or put something into the system that is different than what we've been asked is please trust the, the what's in their hearts and minds and they live by the golden rule and we should trust them. Um, and and unfortunately, or fortunately, or I don't know, equity doesn't work that way. Work that you can way. be a really nice person and be part of a really broken system. I, I'm certain to not to be dramatic, but to be dramatic that there were people who served in Nazi Germany or who served in 
you know, as a, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? An overseer who were nice people, but were part of broken systems that were oppressive. Right. And we can't use somebody's niceness as a measure of how equitable a space or a system is. It doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah. Right. And we can't use our own niceness no. to shield us from um, learning and, and also our ugly truths and history. Yes. Right. And so to hear our mayor say, our town is founded and we are our foundation, our princi- principles of equity. It's like, no, Ooh, it actually isn't. not. Yeah, we have a pretty atrocious history, as as every part of this region does, um, and much of our nation. So, uh, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Let's and start. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's be willing to name that. Right. And that doesn't mean that we still can't be proud and love right. our town, and we're going to be honest about our history. Right. That's actually a great segue because I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that you're adamant, and I don't know if. Oh, you're you're consistent. I don't know if adamant is the word right. uh, in making sure that your children have an analysis mm. and that they grow up understanding not just the history, but also understanding how systems operate today to perpetuate inequities. And in fact, your daughter, Eloise, she's yeah. how old? Eight. She's eight years old. She spoke at one of the city council meetings. She did. She did. And I pulled up a little bit of what she said. She's And I uh, just will read a little bit of that. So she I'm little and I haven't had many experiences, but I have had some. And I don't know if you'll take an eight-year-old's words into consideration, but I'm going to put it out there anyways. I want to be polite and to the point. I want to share with you what I worry about. There are no kids of color in my class. And there are only two teachers of color that lead classrooms in my entire school. And I'm worried that people of color don't like living in our neighborhood, and I'm worried that people of color don't feel safe living in our town. I hope you take my words into consideration. If there's a way for you to help people of color feel safe living in our town, will you please do it? It really matters to me. Thanks for joining me, Eloise. I really appreciate you coming and sharing your thoughts. I think you have insight and empathy beyond your years. And I am appreciative that you are willing to sit with me and chat. So thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> so what was it like speaking to the city council? Tell me about it. Uh, it was cool. <laughs> cool? Was it nerve wracking at all? Like, were you nervous? Not really. No. So tell me what made you decide to do it? Not every kid is like, I want to talk to the city council. What made you do it? I don't really know. Well, you talk in your speech about how you're concerned that people of color don't feel safe in your town. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to understand that and to know that maybe not everyone feels as safe in your town? Well, um, it's because I see like about a quarter or something as many dark-skinned kids or kids of color than light-skinned kids. Mm -hmm. About a quarter of the kids there might be dark-skinned. I don't really know. Maybe less. Mm -hmm. And and what do you think about that? Like, why do you think you, you don't see as many kids of color as you do white kids? Well, I think it's because that not um, as many kids of color live in our neighborhood. I used to go to a private school um, farther away um, 
from um but that ha- but they had lots of um kids of color mm-hmm. so i so i feel like um i feel like um public schools have more um kids that go to the neighborhood that are in that neighborhood than private schools who anyone can go to if you can afford it so um i thought that people color might not feel safe living in our neighborhood given the fact that i don't see as many kids there at school which Mm. means there aren't really as many in our town do you imagine that if there were more kids of color who felt safe in your town and who came to your school do you imagine that it would be different moving forward like in your next grade if more families felt comfortable and there were more kids of color how would your school be different i um think i wouldn't feel as alone about about maybe not not being the only one who cares in my class or spoke up about um not really learning about people of color and Native Americans in social studies. Mm, did you speak up With, about that in social studies? Mm-hmm. What'd you say? I said, are we going to learn about people of color and Native Americans? And what'd your teacher say? Well, I'm not really supposed to teach you about that. Really? This this year because you learned about it last year. But we only really studied Native Americans a tiny little bit last year and not people of color that much at all. Mm. So, huh. Yeah. So you really do care about learning about people who are different from you and understanding the history. What, what made you care about those issues and care uh, about learning about others? Do you know? Probably my mom. <laughs> <laughs> how did she, how did she help you care about that? Books. Books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did any, and you said you wouldn't be the only one who cared. Did anyone else in your class say anything when you asked this question? No. They didn't say anything positive or negative. They just didn't speak up. Didn't say anything. Didn't say anything. Okay. Okay. You also mentioned in your remarks that you, there are only two teachers of color that lead classrooms in your school. Mm-hmm. There's Miss. Is Nichols, who I had for kindergarten, mm-hmm. and this year for third grade, there was a different teacher of color, Miss Daniels, but I missed her, so I don't really think I'll um, be getting another teacher of color unless someone happens to um, so want to be a teacher of color. We get another teacher of color in um, fourth or fifth grade, which mm-hmm. I'm not very sure likely right and so that is something that i think a lot of people um a lot of adults who want their kids to learn from people from different backgrounds look for like are there teachers of different backgrounds in this school um and so i know for me that's something i want my kids to have for you what do you think would be different if you had more teachers of color um Learning about um, more different kinds of people. Like mm-hmm. for this year, we only learned a little bit about Martin Luther King for his day. We did a page of a packet for Ruby Bridges. And um, on our classroom library, we had who was Rosa Parks. And I think there might be 
some other things, but um, there might not be, so I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if the white teachers learn more about the history of people of color? Could that work, too? Probably. Yeah? Yeah? I mean, you're a young yeah. white girl, and you care about these issues. <laughs> My guess is if you grew up to be a teacher, that you would make sure to teach from different backgrounds. <laughs> so could that be a solution, too? Yeah. 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 But I hear you. It would be good to see more teachers of color. <laughs> yep. So um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you is how people reacted to your remarks. So when let's go back to the city council meeting. I kind of just dug into what you said and wanted to know more about you. But at that meeting, did anyone say anything to you afterwards? Um, my friend Ellie, who's up, she's like, an adult now she um gave me a card but really that was it yeah yeah but that's how it was for pretty much everyone except this one guy who kept yelling out and the council had to tell him multiple times to be quiet yeah i think it was twice <laughs> <laughs> he just kept yelling out during people's Remarks. Yeah. <laughs> nice things or just yelling? Uh, I'm not really you don't know, sure. Just outburst. So what do you think? What are your thoughts about how the city council is responding to your comment, to your mom's comment, other comments that were saying, hey, you need to reconsider this decision? Um, well, um, at a part in my mom's speech, the mayor kind of recoiled a little bit. Mm, so what do you take from that? Uh, she didn't really like what and how much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's it's important to say what you believe, even if people don't like what you're saying. So I'm super proud of you and your mom for speaking up. If you could make the rules for the city, if you were on the city council or if you were the mayor, um, what would you do to make the town more safe for people of color? Um, I'd um. Tell the police to stop shooting innocent people that didn't really do anything wrong. And I, t- and I tell the police to not pull people for, for speeding unless they've actually speeded. Because um, my mom has said before, you're more likely to get pulled over if you have darker skin. Yeah, if they're not actually speeding, what's the point of... In pulling them over, I would acknowledge the fact that we live in a part that of um, the country that black that people with dark skin weren't allowed to live in in like the eighteen hundreds or during segregation. Mm, well, the black people might live here. Like during this, you mean like during Civil War, during enslavement, 1800s? Uh, segregation. Segregation, like the 1900s. Yeah, because Jim Crow. Um, for enslavement, there were really a place where they were supposed to live. Mm-hmm. So, um, except for a part of North Webster, mm. where, um, which is growing smaller and smaller every year because more white people people with lighter skin have 
been moving in and making the houses more expensive, so not very many people can can get can um live there anyways. Mm-hmm. Any color. Yeah. So um I would vote for you yeah. at least. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any desire to run for an office when you get older? Like talking to city Maybe. council? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> well, because it sounds like you have some some strong opinions and some great ideas. So I would love to see you put those to work. Okay, great. It doesn't have to be in politics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could see you being a great teacher that would teach everybody's history, being a good politician. I don't know. Those are my visions for your life. I don't know if you have a vision for where you want to end up doing this work. Mm-hmm. But I'm really glad that you're listening to your mom and learning <laughs> about the history of the town where you live in and that you're willing to stand up and say what you think. Because not every kid your age would do that. So my last question for you is what mm-hmm. advice would you give other kids who have these ideas and want to say something and speak up, but they're not quite sure how? Believe in yourself and just say what you want to say. I wish it were that simple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess it is. Out yeah. of the mouths of babes. Uh, and what about if it's your teacher and it's like somebody who's, you know, an authority figure? Uh Teach people about everybody. Okay. Okay. Teach everybody about everybody. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing. Keep it up. Keep speaking your mind. And thanks for joining. How proud were you as a mom? I was really proud. <laughs> I was really proud. Um, and and scared, actually, right? Mm. Um, it was a really full room. Um it was a really full room, yeah. and I was really, really proud of her and, uh, for wanting to do it and for actually doing it, um, and also, uh, you know, holding the dual hat of of Mama Bear, um, mm-hmm. feeling protective of her at the mm-hmm. same time. Were there people who said, you know, oh, you wrote that for her, or how dare you let her speak up? Or? I saw a couple of comments online. It was, it was, uh, you know, somebody said, what what kind of eight year old uses the word the term people of color? Um, which somebody else had responded to and was like, or where does the eight year old learn the term people of color? And they're like, the same place that other eight year olds learn not so good terms at home. And I was sort of like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Well, I love it because yeah. I am all about raising equity and us thinking how we are adults that intentionally cultivate this equity mindset. And I think that engaging our children in these conversations at these big moments and at the small moments is how they learn the language, how they learn empathy, how they learn the importance of stepping up to speak truth to power. And I think that I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Do you have any tips or strategies for other folks who would love for their kid to I mean, and I will, I will just also add a disclaimer that I have two other children younger than Eloise. And I don't know that they will be the kind of kid that, um, that will speak at a city council meeting. So I think she's a, she's a pretty special kid. Um, and also, um, it came from a small moment though. Right. And so one of the things that I have found most important, um, I work a lot. I, we do, I do a lot of work around equity. We're involved in a lot of different events, um, often, and I'm gone. Some of that they can see and some of that they can't see. And so I, I think it has become important because I cannot guarantee that their environment in their environment alone and without my intervention that they are going to be talking about race and racism as much as I want them to. 
Um, and so I narrate constantly. Um, I tell them about my day. I tell them what meetings I'm going to. I tell them what I'm working on, not all the details, but the fact that this hire had happened. Um, I mean, most people in our town don't, hadn't fully become aware of the situation. Um, but I wanted them to know what I was spending time thinking about. And I was, we were driving to swim practice and I said that I would be speaking at this meeting. Um, and she said, well, can I speak at the meeting? Right. And so we started, a, that was where the conversation started. Um, so it wasn't a, it wasn't, it didn't seem like a big moment, um, you know, family moment. It was a, it was a small moment. And so I think that that um, narration and showing, walking the walk and showing kids what's important to you and how you're willing to give time and space um, and take risks, you know, um, for it. And, and the preparation that you had done along the way, like right. you said, that it wasn't that it just came out of the blue, that right. you had done the work along the way, exposed her to things, had the conversations so that when the opportunity came, that she was ready, that right. as a family, you were ready, you could support her. And that's, that's, that's beautiful. It really is. That's the, that's the hope is that our kids can grow up understanding how systems operate mm -hmm. uh, so that they might be able to get right what we can't seem to. Right. And have practice from the beginning. I think often, like, what would it be like if I wasn't learning this in my 20s and 30s? Um, and I, I was <laughs> more aware younger. Um, could we get further if we had less catch up work to do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you chatting with me. Of course. I appreciate the white folk work you're doing. I have no doubt that it will continue. It will continue. <laughs> we got so far to go. So far to go. <laughs> and I look forward to, to following that. Is there a way that people can follow you and keep up with your work? Yeah. So um, our website, um, westories.org, um, is about to be uh, revamped. Um, so there will be lots of good information uh, there. Um, and Facebook um, under our We Stories STL is another great place to um, find out more. Um, yeah, great. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you.